that was really weak. Yeah, it's because you did the can or the bottle instead of the can. You don't quite get the resonance from the glass bottle that you do from the aluminum cans. But hey, sometimes you got to work with what you got. That's true. So. <laughs> but beer tastes better from a bottle, so cheers. Well, to each their own, I say. I would technically say it tastes better from the draft, but that's yeah, not probably. really an option right now. So that's probably anyway, true. we're getting in here, Mike and I. Well, I'm going to start calling you Fantini. I'm going to get in the habit in that, and I'll explain that in just a second. Okay. But uh, teaching band, band camp, high school band, grueling, getting in the March of the season, but we're back. Recording another episode, finally. Took a little hiatus, but yeah, we're in it. Yep. Today we're back with another guest. We haven't, I think the last three episodes have uh, have just been you and I talking about the end of the DCI season, so this will be a kind of change of pace from what all the listeners are used to, so... It should be a good one. The guest today, we're pretty excited about. Um, yeah, I think it's a good change of pace because some people are like, hey, are you guys going to have a guest again? Yeah. Not I don't appreciate people listening to you and I, but it definitely makes it more interesting when we oh, get yeah. a, a third-party perspective or somebody that maybe disagrees with us or just has some outside vantage view that, that we don't get. For sure. So why are you going to start calling me by my last name? Well, I'm going to call you, or at least try oh, to wait. call you I Fantini. Just, I just figured it out. <laughs> try to call you Fantini this episode because we are joined by another guest who is another Mike, Mike Leitsky. Uh, welcome, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. And uh, we're so, going yeah. to let Mike introduce himself here in a second. But first, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini. And with me, as always, is Evan Worrell. And uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, like the video, uh, subs- uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, subscribe on Spotify and iTunes, and as always, tell your friends. All that stuff helps us grow and uh, see where we can take this whole podcast endeavor we're on. So I'll let Evan take it from here, and we'll just get into it. Yeah, so to try to cut down on confusion, I'll uh, try to address Fantini and then Mike so that we all kind of know who we're, who we're talking to, at least from my perspective. But like we said, welcome, Mike. Mike has some uh, similar background as far as groups to myself and uh, also another alumni of RhythmX, but also has a little bit different avenue that he's gone and also in the percussive game, especially uh, marching in a different perspective than I think anybody that we've had on at this point. So uh, thanks again for joining us, Mike. Kind of take us through real quick your beginnings of your percussive career, getting in the band, how it all started, and we'll do a, a snapshot up to, to kind of where you are today. For sure. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on this. This is super cool to be a part of my first podcast ever. So pretty, pretty nice. Sweet. Um, so I guess uh, throwing it way back now, because I'm uh, a little bit older, I suppose. <laughs> I, I come from a pretty musical family. My uncle is a session drummer in Houston and has been his entire career. Um, he went to UNT back when it was called North Texas State and uh, my mom was a drummer she was the center snare in my high school drum line that I ended up going to my uncle was the center snare in the high school drum line um, I was not the center snare in the high school drum line but I played in the snare line for a little bit and then moved on to the front ensemble um, so I was really fortunate to grow up in the where I did in the Chicago suburbs and went to Prospect High School uh, Brett Kuhn uh, of Cavaliers, Bluecoats, and Imachi fame uh, taught me how to hold sticks when I was in fourth grade and taught me until I graduated high school. So I was 
super fortunate to grow up in that area and be taught by him and a bunch of other great folks like Dave Schmuck and Joe Roach and other guys that are, you know, still involved in the activity, at least tangentially. Um, so great environment to grow up in. Uh, from there, I went to the uh, University of South Carolina for my undergraduate degree um, in a little bit of a different discipline than maybe what most might expect. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in atmospheric science and uh, learned a lot of math and uh, <laughs> took four semesters of calculus instead of taking you know, a bunch of music theory and all of that. Um, but, you know, it was a great choice for me uh, to do and really enjoyed uh, going to school at the University of South Carolina. Played on the drum line there for uh, one year with a bunch of drum corps pit people. Uh, uh, we played on this uh, section called the Ride Line, kind of based off of what they did at Michigan State. So, you know, it was an interesting uh, little setup in there, but a fun fun thing to do for, for college drum line for a season. Um, and see what that whole thing was all about. I marched drum corps for three years with Carolina Crown from 2006 uh, to 2008. Um, I was in the front ensemble all three years. So The People's was, uh, Front Ensemble. That's right. It was the, the beginning of the People's Front Ensemble in that 2008 year. It was, uh, was an electric group to be a part of, as we like to say. Is that, the, <laughs> is that really Crown's Pit's nickname? Uh, yeah, now yeah. it is. Yeah, well, so, I don't know who coined that. Mike Bishop or something? Uh, so it started with, with the 08 group. Um, we would do this little pre-show hype, uh, just, you know, pit circle like most groups do. And uh, as a kid that grew up in the late 90s, I was a big fan of the WWF and The Rock. And uh, we would just kind of like get into these characters and kind of rib back and forth and uh, we just started doing these pre-show hype speeches as if we were The Rock, and uh, it all started to be the <laughs> the people's front ensemble, and we were going to be the most electrifying front ensemble in drum corps international entertainment. That's awesome. Um, so it started out that year, and it's it's pretty cool to see that. I I think they're still calling themselves that, but I I really don't know for sure. But it was it was a pretty collaborative effort to kind of craft that whole thing but it was it was a ton of fun especially towards the end of the season that's awesome so taking a little bit of a step back to what you just said taught by brett coon in high school when you were there did you realize like oh this is brett coon or like when did it kind of you make the connection like oh this guy's maybe more than the average high school instructor uh i i feel that way too when people talk about like tom ox being at dartmouth and like teaching kids in like middle school i'm like they don't even know like who he is like to us now in retrospect oh yeah i i had absolutely no clue what i was working with at that point in time i mean we had every possible opportunity given to us from a playing standpoint and uh you know from an equipment standpoint you know he was with the calves at that point in time so you know, when we went to go get cymbals, we would just drive on over to the Cavaliers garage in Rosemont, 15 minutes away, and go through 20 cymbal bags of brand new Zildjian cymbals and all of that. And, you know, not until a little bit later when I started teaching myself and realizing, hey, it's not really like this everywhere, that <laughs> <But> I realized <laughs> yeah, we had a little something special. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I marched with a kid uh, in 2010 at Blue Stars who was a Tom Monks kid. And none of the rest of us went to a high school like that, but Dartmouth was all he knew. He was 16, and 
he was like, wait, ev- there were times he, he would just make comments like, oh, that's not how it is everywhere. Like, he just wasn't aware how lo- how lucky he was. Yeah, this is 100% like that. I mean, Cavaliers would do early percussion move-ins at the school. So I remember, like, rolling up to the school, my mom dropping me off uh, before my freshman year, and that was the 2001 summer. So to just see these, like, Ooh. nine dudes out there <laughs> with the snares with the high hats on them, just chopping out in this place that we call this little zone we called the helicopter pad. Like fourteen year old me was like mind blown. Like it was such That's a good. cool first experience. Did the Niagara show? Is that right? Uh four corners. Four corners. Oh, doesn't matter. Anytime yeah. you like talk about Cavaliers from the year two thousand to like two thousand four, it was a great show. Oh yeah. <laughs> Niagara, Phenomenal. four corners, spin cycle. Then it was machine uh, machine, is that right? Yeah. Or no? I think so. Machine was oh six. Oh yeah. What was two thousand four? I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, James Bond. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Andrew Markworth was in there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I went to USC, did the drum line. Oh, speaking of USC, this was going to mention earlier. How do you feel that the old South Carolina football took the L to the in-state UNC? <laughs> uh, let, let me just say that I'm very glad that I have uh, – engagements for every Saturday from here to the end of the season. So I'm not going to have to worry about watching one more second of Will Muschamp's terrible football. Oh my gosh, that was brutal. I feel for you. (laughs) University of Louisville. Oh yeah, Louisville. Two and ten last season. Um, Well, hey, I I think we're going to be on track for that because we played Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. So that's uh, you know not a good thing for Yikes. the Gamecocks. But this is like else. the twilight zone because somehow in the conversation between Mike at, uh, at USC, Fantini, a UofL fan, and me being here in Lexington, where Kentucky is, Kentucky is somehow the best football program yeah, of these three. I so I'm not real sure what's going on. But <laughs> hey, listen, this is going to make me it. sound really bad, but the Gamecocks haven't been able to beat the Wildcats in five years. Whew. They have yeah. had our number, man. I tell you what. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about him. I mean, the Spurrier's last year, I think it was, or he might have already been gone at that point, and the interim coach was in there. But they lost, and then Muschamp hasn't been able to beat the Wildcats. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'll take it. That's all I say. I, I, I'm not going to jinx it. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. Last We've got your I'll guys' say. number in, uh, in basketball a couple times throughout the last few years, though. So yeah. I'll take that. Was it Frank Martin? Dude, I love Frank Martin. Uh, he's just like, he's, he's tenacity personified, man. He's just like all energy all the time. I love it. So- South Carolina has the angriest coaches in college sports. That's true. <laughs> that is a true statement. <laughs> all right, all right. Before we get too more sidetracked, let's rewind a little bit. Um, last thing I'll say about this stuff is I don't think UK's football team is going to be as good as people think they are this year. But moving on, so well, just um, a minor see. little swipe there. We'll see. <laughs> I'm required to say it. So back to band related stuff. So we've gone through your drum corps history, how you got in and started. You know, Brett Coon, the Carolina Crown. Um, how'd you get into judging? How'd that start? Um. Well, I guess we can take it back to uh, indoor then. Uh, So I marched Rhythm X in the 2008 year, which was a pretty sweet year to be a part of that group. One of the best WGI shows of all time. Uh, One of the the cleanest batteries I think I've ever heard in my entire life. My goodness. They were were incredible. And uh, it was awesome to be a part of that. But uh, my experience there, uh, I finished up with, with that group and then 
in the lot right before finals. Um, a guy that uh, I had known from the Carolina area had come in and he had asked me if I was interested in writing and teaching for a group called Palmetto Percussion. That was kind of a startup group. And uh, they had done, I think, maybe two years to that point. Um, but I came in for the 2009 season and wrote the front book and, and taught the front for the next three years. And we were fortunate enough to uh, almost medal in 2009 in Independent Open. We had a pretty rough finals run with some electronic snafus, but, you know, that happens. I got a bronze um, medal in 09 in WGI in there, Independent Open. There you go. Is that Tate's <laughs> Creek? Tate's Creek, that was. That's right, four, baby. Oh, yeah. I got fourth place. <laughs> All three years I marched indoors. <laughs> Just missed out on a medal. Yeah. So we were fortunate to build upon that, and uh, we won Independent Open the year after that um, with a show that just really worked well. It was a lot of fun to create. Um, and then uh, moved forward with one year for them in Independent World Class, and uh, we, were, we were fortunate enough to make uh, World Class Finals for the first time ever, which was really, really cool to see those kids that – for the most part, had been a part of the group since it started in 2009 or 2007 or 2008. And a lot of them aged out that 2011 year. And they got to go from being a part of this like startup ensemble to here at the big dance on Saturday night. So it was, it was really cool, cool to be a part of that. But uh, from there, you know, I, I my career was taking me into some different directions and I wasn't going to have the availability to, uh, you know, really dig in and write the book and do everything the way that I had. So uh, I was approached by the local circuit in the area, SEWE, uh, or the Carolina Winter Ensembles Association, and they asked me if I was interested in judging. And I hadn't really thought about it to that point. Um, you know, I was, I, I always respected the guys that we had in judging the group. You know, we had, you know, Matt Savage and a lot of the WGI guys at that time came in. So I, I had a lot of good like model tapes to listen to and you know, I just thought I'd give it a shot. So did a little bit of training uh, on the local circuit side. It's really like a one afternoon like seminar thing or clinic and just kind of dove right in and started in the Carolinas doing uh, local circuit stuff in the Seawee circuit. And then at that time, there was another circuit in the upstate, uh, like the Dorman area, Spartanburg, that, that zone uh, called SEPA. And I, I started working there as well. And they got some of the more national judges in. And I was super fortunate that getting to know some of the guys uh, that were judging those shows, you know, they helped to mentor me um, as I was getting started and give me pointers, like me hitting them up on email, just being like, hey, here's these five tapes. Listen to them and tell me, tell me what sucks. Tell me what I can do to get better. And, you know, I was just... I got a lot of great, great input from from people, and that really helped me to develop in those formative years of just learning how to speak into a recorder and form a coherent sentence, which is more challenging than you might think at times. Oh, believe me, if you go back no and doubt. listen to uh, our first few podcasts, I, I did that <laughs> recently, and um, both Evan and I have gotten a lot better of talking into a microphone or a headset. I think yeah. so, at least. And one benefit just, that you guys have is you get to go back and you can edit it. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. But in all I honesty, I, I don't have to do a whole lot of editing. Most of it is just like <laughs> it'll be a pause and like an um. I just kind of cut that down. Typically, I don't have to t cut a lot out, which is good. I yeah. used to cut a lot more out than I do now. Now we've gotten a lot better and more consistent. And uh, yeah. 
it's actually funny that you say that too. Um, I would, before I did my first local circuit, I've done a few years judging locally here in the state of Kentucky, but I was so nervous about how I would be perceived on the tapes because I wanted to give good information and I wanted it to be coherent in like a complete thought instead of just like a run on stream of conscious, like brain leap to brain leap. And I'm not even finishing one thought before I move on to the next that I would sit down on my couch with uh, my, my voice memo on my iPhone and watch shows on YouTube and just like critique them and comment on them and then go back and listen to it and be like, oh my gosh, this sounds terrible or this sounds terrible or I didn't finish this thought to try to like prepare myself for just that, that first judging experience. And I'd like to think that I've gotten better since then uh, over the couple of years that I've done just by reaching out to groups that I've judged and be like, hey, I know I sent you the tape. Like, what do you guys think? Do you want any more feedback? This, that, this, that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. But like that technique that you're talking about is perfect. Like that, that's exactly what I was doing and just going onto YouTube and just searching like indoor drumline show and just like taking whatever I could find and just trying to like learn how to react in the moment and how to phrase commentary and, you know, just trying to like envision you being in the seat and all that stuff, just getting those reps that, that really, really helped me out especially early on. And it's definitely to a whole nother scenario when you're watching a show as a spectator where you're just really soaking it in versus, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit more detail here in a minute, but just like the narrow scope of this caption that you're trying to stick to. And there were times when I was judging local circuits where I was like, Oh, that, that, that group had a, had a color guard. Didn't even notice. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh dude, I'm That's... real bad about that. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you do when you're doing an analysis caption like that. It's it's always fun, like you know, after doing an indoor drumline show, and you know, you're talking in, uh, in critique or right before critique with the other guys in the panel, and they're talking about, oh yeah, you know, this show where you know they had this red floor and all of this happened and this big moment in the show, and it's like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh. <laughs> But yeah, I know you're the just group so that played focused the on your off the left while doing a dummy plie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So you went through a few local circuits there. Um, yeah, and yeah, so and did keep, that. And keep us going. Kinda, yeah, did that. Just kind of spread my wings a little bit. Uh, I was fortunate that you know some circuits over on the East Coast, especially you know, took a chance on you know someone who's relatively unknown <laughs> to come in and give their thoughts about the circuits groups. Um, and, you know, I guess I, I, I kept doing a good enough job that they would ask me to come back and, uh, it just kind of spreads like that. You know, you, the more people that you judge with, you grow your network and, uh, then, you know, get more, more opportunities from there. So, you know, I did that for, I think four or five years. And, uh, I was at WGI, I think it was in 2014 at championships. And I got approached by someone uh, who's a former director of a group. And they asked me if I was ever interested in judging for DCI. And admittedly, that had always been like something that was like a long-term goal. I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. Like, that'd be super cool. But like, I probably need a lot more years to go. Like at that point, I think I was like 26 or 27 years old. So like pretty young. And uh, that person had heard a bunch of my tapes for, from somewhere, 
and I don't know where, and ended up submitting them on my behalf to the, the DCI uh, judge training and leadership folks. And uh, you know, he basically said, hey, they're going to give you a call. And uh, you know, if you want to trial this summer, go ahead and do it. So I thought, dude, that's wild. That that sounds like something that you see on like one of those, like X Factor or something. Like, oh, my brother signed me up for this. They just I didn't, and now I'm here because they signed me up, and I don't want to let them down. It's like, oh, somebody else submitted your tapes on your behalf. So like, well, now now I guess I gotta go. Well, it's crazy because I mean, at that time, you know, I didn't know John Phillips, I didn't know Lee Carlson, I didn't know all of those guys. Glenn Fugit was the the. Uh, judge liaison for percussion at the time like I didn't know those guys at all so I mean if I didn't have you know <laughs> this person giving me kind of a bump I I don't I who knows I I may not have had that opportunity ever so yeah something that I'm kind of forever thankful for and uh, you know it, it's worked out really really well for me um, you know I've been super fortunate so I got the call and went in and uh, did my trial judging that season. I think I did the Lyle, Illinois home sh uh, Cavaliers home show right after the 4th of July. And then I trialed at the Atlanta regional and the Atlanta regional was like my first real taste of like, this is what a big show feels like. This is a long, long day. And it's just like getting that stamina up to stay engaged and be able to react accordingly for you know 14 plus hours um that that was a real test to where i felt like i got through it and i was like okay i feel like i might be able to do this um and was that the summer of 2014 you're doing the trial yes yeah that was summer okay. of 2014 yeah that seems i'm sure from that perspective and just like being able to keep your brain moving and just keep the the momentum going is a huge key because from a fan perspective, even for me at this point, sitting and watching shows and just like watching them, like watching six, seven drum corps in a row, even is like, wow, this is a lot of time. You have the breaks in between, but obviously there's more things going on for you guys. I'm sure in between shows, submitting numbers, submitting sheets, submitting this, finishing recordings, like, okay, making sure you're getting everything submitted before you can move on to the next group and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot more mechanics involved um oh yeah it's pretty much non-stop from you know the national anthem until critique is done it it does not really stop so you get a little if there's an intermission at the show you get a little bit of a chance to catch your breath then but you know especially if you're down on the field and you've got to go get food or something usually you got to go upstairs and all that so you know even then you know it's not a super long break to just kind of chill out but you know, I, I'm one of those people that's like when I get engaged in something and it's like it's go time, we're focused, like I'm I'm in there, I'm ready to go. Yeah, the, yeah, the idea of of how how taxing it probably is to judge a full DCI show never really occurred to me until I judged the show myself the first time. I only judged yeah. six bands in prelims and six bands in finals. And even that I was like, Man, I'm pretty tired. I and I thought about it, I was like, Man, these drum corps judges will judge like 15 shows in a row at some time it's nuts yeah i mean doing prelims in 2017 i think we had like 52 or something like that total and it was the same panel course. holy cow yeah oh my god <laughs> but on the on the flip side of that though too like i'm sitting here thinking of the perspective of you guys being like on the field 
like feeling that raw energy from those performers that just like gets you juiced up each show to like, all right, these kids are coming at me with everything they got. Like, I got to give it back to them. Like, let's go. And then at the end of it, when the dust settles, you just feel like you came out of like a time warp where you just did a 14 hour day and you're like, man, that just happened. I blacked out. What happened? Like the Will Ferrell on old school. He's like, I blacked out. What happened? (laughs) Your adrenaline wears off and uh, you realize how tired you actually are. Yeah. I mean, that's, you guys are right on the money with it. Like, even even this year, coming off the field at prelims, like, you know, I finished up with, uh, I don't even remember who was on last, but, you know, Blue I felt coach. really good about everything. Like, my voice was holding up, and then we got back to the hotel, and someone went to just say something to me or, like, ask how it went, and I, like, I just, I didn't have any more words. My words were gone. <laughs> Reached your word quota for the day. Uh. <laughs> yes, most <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Well, kind of getting into the trial judging. So you trial judged in 2014. You said somebody submitted your tapes. What was, I guess, the process for you to get through the trial judging and then learning, I guess, the system, the sheets, the terminology? Like, was there training? Like, that sort of background. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit different now than it was back then. But uh, back then, basically, you had to have some people basically, uh, you know – kind of endorse you to go through the trial process and either submit letters of recommendation or submit your tapes on, on your behalf. Um, you, you tried to have some credentials beforehand. Um, and then you'd go through the, the annual training that they do with the judges every single year. Usually I think it's in the beginning of June, maybe late May, early June. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's really until you have your first trial assignment. So you, you have plenty of time to study the sheets and you have plenty of time to, you know, just kind of uh, familiarize yourself with the criteria and practice as much as you possibly can. Cause like both of you have said now, you know, the first time you walk into a DCI show and you've got your trial judge badge on, you're going to, you're going to feel like a million bucks, but on the inside, man, you're going to be shaken like a leaf. I was so nervous. And, and really still do get nervous for every single show that I do just because I want to do the best that I possibly can. But um, so you'll go through, you'll do the those. The first show for me was that it was a smaller show in, in the Chicago suburbs. And that was the only one that I did where there was like a critique. So you got to participate uh, in critique as really just a, an observer and just kind of check out what's going on. Jeff Osdemore was the working judge that night. So you know, Jeff's a pretty excellent judge, so it was cool to see him kind of work and critique and, uh, you know, kind of manage the the groups coming in and how to handle, you know, sometimes when things can get a little bit more uh, heated or, you know, because everyone's going <laughs> to come in there. They're advocating for their group. <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring up and take this opportunity since you brought up critique to talk about critique a little bit. Sure. Uh, that's something I feel like a lot of people don't really or aren't really aware of from the outside. And um, so, like you mentioned kind of laughingly that it can get kind of heated sometimes. I mean, to me, that would be very nerve wracking as a judge. Like you just you just kind of made a call on the field and you put somebody above somebody that hasn't been happening recently. So, like, I don't know. Yeah. You're sitting across the table from Scott Johnson, Tom Hannum, Tom, uh, Mike Jackson. I mean, the list goes on like 
Paul Rennick. It's all these people who are like trying to vouch for their group. <laughs> yeah. 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 And everyone has their own particular uh, style of sales, I suppose you could say. <laughs> sales. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, I try to approach it in, in the way where it's like, all right, you heard the tape, you heard the read. Tell me what I missed because, you know, a lot of groups want to talk about content and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're unhappy with, you know, what's out there or what the number was or the ordinal was, whatever, you know, help guide me. Tell me what I missed. Tell me what I need to check out for next time. And I, and I think that helps to break down a little bit more of a situation that could be contentious. And it's just, you know, my job is to be out there and I want to reward everything that those kids are doing. And if there's something that I missed, tell me, and I'll make sure that I see it next time. And I think that that's the the brilliance of critique, or at least where groups can make the most out of critique, whether it's DCI, BOA, I don't know if BOA does critique, your local circuit or whatever. I've been on the other end of a local circuit critique where people want to come in in, on a much less, uh, I don't want to say legitimate scale, but... Maybe there's less at stakes. I mean, obviously, there's the DCI is the highest level it can be. In, but when you're sitting there, local circuits are like, oh, well, this, this, this. And I'm like, okay, well, help me understand so that I can help reward you the best that I can. So I get what you're saying from that perspective. After you leave a critique, would you say, I'm sure you're obviously taking notes on the things that are giving, that changes your geography on where you're trying to read a show the next time you see it? Yeah, it certainly can do that. Um, another really good opportunity for critique is, you know, for groups to talk about planned changes. You know, they all know the schedule, so they know when they're going to see us next. And I'll just say, hey, I'm going to see you. You know, you know when you're going to see me next. So uh, are you going to have a new closer? or Is there going to be anything that I need to know about for next time? So that way I can do a little bit of preparation as well to make sure that I'm not caught off guard. And that's the next thing I was going to ask. How much... I'm a, I always assumed, and I'm pretty sure it's this way, correct me if I'm wrong, that judges have to watch the shows or the groups they're going to judge ahead of time to 100%. give you an idea, okay, here's a percussion moment here, I need to be over on this yard line here, and do you kind of like give yourself a roadmap? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm one of the guys that's out there, I've got a clipboard with me that has you know, where I'm supposed to go for every show and you know, before my first show with each group, you know, I'll spend some time watching their uh, their production and uh, mapping out where I can get safely and, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm in the zones that I need to be in for, you know, the those segments of the show. <clears throat> Would you say that, I guess this will jump around a little bit, so obviously they had the rule change this year where they limited field judges to how far off the sideline or the amount of space that they're allowed to take off the the sideline to view the vantage points of the shows. Would you say that that has in some ways enhanced what you're able to receive because you're not worried about other things like running into people or how's it affected? Because obviously you've been before and now you're after the rule change. Yeah. I mean, I think the rule change this year worked well because the groups changed their design if the groups had used, you know, 2018 and prior design where the battery spent a lot, a lot of the same amount of time 
back behind the back hash. You know, I think it would have been a little bit more difficult from an exposure standpoint. But, you know, all summer long, you know, I, I don't I didn't really feel like I got an inadequate read from anybody because everyone brought their batteries up front. You know, the front ensembles had a lot of exposure time as well. And, you know, I know that there were a lot of questions and everything about uh, the system and how that all got implemented and what the outcome was going to be because of that. But, you know, I, I, I really think it actually worked pretty well. I, I always felt comfortable out there for the shows. I know it was a little bit different for the visual and the brass guy just because they were not so used to kind of crossing paths with, uh, with the percussion folks. But, you know, I, I think it, it really worked out well for everyone. Um, got a lot of, I, I haven't done any sort of analysis on this. This is something I've been wanting to do, but like looking at how much total exposure time I got on the field this year at like, say the Murfreesboro show versus the same group, uh, last year or the year before, um, at the Murfreesboro show, just taking a look at what that looks like. Oh, I love the numbers. Uh, you and Mike loves, or Fantini loves the numbers too. And you obviously said you did a lot of, uh, math for your degree as well. But I just love breaking down the numbers and factoring in. And Mike and I have talked and Fantini and I have talked to just about like how maybe groups will design their shows in accordance with the rule change and that sort of analytics. And I think that stuff is very fascinating. And just at the end of the day, it's just more feedback. It's more data. It's more stats that people will use to try to quote unquote design the perfect show. So, yeah. And, and really the whole thing with, with the rule change is that, that maybe most people don't necessarily understand. And this may be a little bit behind the scenes information, but, you know, when I saw, you know, information first come out about the possibility of this rule change, everyone was like, oh, DCI just wants to do this. DCI wants to do that. And it's the cores are really the ones that drive all decisions regarding uh anything involving the judges, whether it be the criteria that we evaluate, where our placement is on the field or in the stands, or really anything that we do is all driven from them. So, you know, it'll go through the instructor caucus and then through the, uh, the rural selection task force. And then it goes up through the directors who ultimately give it a yay or a nay. So, you know, the cores are really the ones that, that voted on all that and, and really made it happen. Um, I want to back up for a second. You mentioned a minute ago you felt like you got a better read of drum lines this year than you did the previous season. Or you were able to evaluate them more? Uh, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I feel like you obviously didn't have as much like horizontal, tra or not horizontal, vertical transition time uh -huh. as you had in years past. And I felt like a lot of the shows this year really kind of led really well from like maybe like side two battery feature over through the front ensemble, then over to like side one battery feature. And I don't know, it just felt like the shows had a really good flow to them in terms of being able to always grab onto something instead of having any transitional time. Yeah. I mean, Evan and I have talked. It seems like front ensembles definitely got more attention this season. Is that a fair statement, you think? I would I would say so. You know, it's all just because you you weren't hindered by having to go front to back at all. You know, you're just there's you were always in a position where you were able to get something. Yeah. That makes sense. And I I mean, we've talked about this too before like we just worried about and we saw a little bit of this from what we watched of all the groups this season of 
groups designing, and you said it earlier, like groups designed a little differently this year with that rule in mind. And I feel like certain cores in the way they wrote their battery book knew from the get go, like, Hey, we don't really need to do anything crazy for this section. Cause we're going to be behind the back hash behind the horn line and, th- and playing under them. No one's ever going to evaluate it. So we, kn- I noticed segments of certain groups like the Cavaliers all name and a couple others, maybe right a little under for certain moments where they weren't exposed because they threw Evan and I both for a loop all season. We thought they were bad, then we thought they were good, then we thought they were bad, and it just depended on what chunk of the show we saw. So I don't know. Did you know? I mean, obviously you weren't able to be out on the back hash, but that's just something we were worried about ahead of time and uh, or before the season, rather. Yeah, I mean, it's that's something that like in the moment you're not really going to be able to catch catch on to because, yeah. like you said, the placement on the field creates a challenge there, but. You know, that's that's all for those individual cores teaching philosophies and what they want to do. And, you know, everyone's going to have a little bit of a different approach. And, you know, some folks are going to want to go after it, you know, from zero colon zero zero to eleven thirty. And some groups are going to, you know, maybe want to take a little bit of a breather in there. So, you know, everyone's going to design the way that they want to for their product. Yep. So new question and not to. This won't be in any direction like, oh, this judge prefers this, so people should do this. But would you say that maybe more non-traditional pit setups? Because I feel like I saw a lot more of that this year as opposed to like, oh, the front ensemble's all the way parallel, flat to the the sideline. More people were like angled out on the field. Maybe their pit was scattered on the field. Maybe they were a little bit further back. Would you say that some of that stuff seemed more prevalent to you because of this allowing more full percussion ensemble reads to where you could read the pit at an angle on side one with the battery beside them without having to try to be behind the pit. Do you think that that stuff was more prevalent this summer just to help get full percussive reads without having to stand behind the marimbas? Yeah, I I think a lot of groups did that for a multitude of reasons. Um, That definitely being one of them, but also just to kind of clear that center of the stage off and really allow them to, feature whatever they want to um you know there there are a bunch of different groups that kind of tried different setups and you know, i'll be really intrigued this year to see if groups continue to go down that trend um you know we kind of saw that in wgi the past couple years maybe not the past couple years but a couple years before that where a lot of groups were like starting to split off the front ensemble and i think mystique did that one year where they were like on 45 degree angles on opposite sides of the floor and yeah, people just trying different creative things. Um, you know, sometimes they work better than others. You know, uh, definitely like staging of the battery relative to the front ensemble on an angle can create some challenges from a readability standpoint. But um, yeah, I think it opens a lot more like creativity and challenges, certainly from an environmental standpoint. Um, trying to bring you know the battery coming from behind the front ensemble to all of a sudden in the same phrase in front of the pit and that trade off of where tempo is coming from and, you know, uh, manipulation of listening environments like that stuff is pretty crazy. And like the detail that these groups are getting to with regard to those sorts of skill sets. And then even some groups having props out there where they explore the Z axis. It's like, it's, it's so crazy. Like I didn't, I didn't age out that long ago and we didn't even dream of doing anything like that. 
Oh man, the activity has evolved so much in the past five, six years. It's insane. Do you even go back to like Tilt at Blue Coats? That was Tilt was twenty fourteen, right? Yeah. Like you to watch that show and then compare it to most shows now, even five years later, it's nuts. Well, and just the introduction of more technology, which allows people to do crazier and crazier mm-hmm. things with the uh, in-ear monitors and just the listening environments like Mike was talking about just a second ago, where the trumpets are on the back hash of side two playing the same rhythm that the snares are playing on the front sideline of side one. You're just like, the ensemble demand is through the roof. I watch shows and I'm perplexed. I'm like, how this must be an ensemble nightmare for whoever's running tempo from the box, like trying to match this up. Like, all right, this section has got to be on top of the hands and you guys need to feel like you're right on the hands. And like, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Like how many days in spring training did they go through that? And the staff's just like, uh, is this ever going to hit? And then it finally does. And they're just like, on cloud nine <laughs> can you guys do that again we don't know what to tell you yeah, we don't know yeah, what you do differently just do it again <laughs> that's awesome so obviously you get a front row seat so i'm kind of gonna take this you have the best vantage point in the house when you're on the field standing 10 feet away from a battery who's just on their last two or three shows of the year they're giving it up what's that what's that vibe like like what's that reward like when you're sitting there trying to critique those kids but you're just also somewhat in awe of like what they're giving back to you man there is nothing like it on earth and i mean that so sincerely like i've never had another visceral experience like that in my entire life and like especially when a group is really just throwing it down and like they know how good it is. And like, there's just so much energy coming off of that, that it makes, you know, some of those like 16, 17 hour days out there feel like it goes by pretty quickly. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really, really cool. And it's, it's also cool at other times to see groups that, you know, maybe not so much towards the end of the year, but earlier in the season when, you know, things maybe don't go so well in the beginning of the show. And, you know, you, you get to hear those little moments where it's like they're trying to hype each other up to like, let's go, let's get back in, let's nail this next lick. And then they do. And then the, the performance just takes off from there. And it's just like being a part of those small little moments is, is just something that's that's really, really cool. One moment that like really stuck with me. I can't remember what show it was. It was inside a dome, so it might have been Atlanta in 2017. It was, uh, see, there. The moment stuck with me, but I'm forgetting which core it was. I think it may have been Spirit, but I started out on the field with them, and just kind of waiting out there for the announcements and everything to get going. And I think it was their center snare just looked at me and was like, "Hey, Mike, you ready?" and just like for someone to say that i was just like oh my god like yes i'm ready let's do this thing and then they came out and played this little triplet roll at like on the edge of the drum and it was just money and i was like all right you boys came to play tonight (laughs) dude that's awesome i think that's one of the things that i just absolutely love about the judges tapes on our 2009 final state jj was on the field and we started the show behind the back sideline like in the end zone 
and we had just this pod that came up and we're just running it was like 194 but he was back there with us and he started the tape early and you could just hear the center snare sharif he's just like yelling at everybody he's like he's like i love you guys I love you guys so much. And then all of a sudden, it's one, two, three, dot, 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 and we're in it. It's just like a robot. But I, that just kind of candid moment right before it, I go back and listen to that. And I'm just like, man, like it takes me back. And I'm just in the moment instantly. And I can remember what it looked like to sit there or stand there on the field and look up at all these thousands of people. And then all of a sudden, it was just a click of a hat. And it's like, all right, game time. And we're in it. It's just wild. Yeah. I mean, it's just so many cool little things that just like happen. And in a moment in time, and it's like, you know, that's, you know, they're doing these little vocals or like visuals or stuff like that. And it's like, it's totally for them. But just like the fact that I got to experience it with them for that show is just really, really cool. Yep. That tape for me, the tapes, my finals tapes are my memories. Like every time, like Evan just said, every time you listen to one of them, it just takes you right back to the moment, whether it's 10 years later, whether it's the summer right after it doesn't matter that's that's what that's what does it for you man like those tapes are the best part of my summers i think yeah so to try to to, uh word vomit to try and compare like maybe so you have experience with dci and local circuits and indoor circuits what sort of things separate maybe circuit to circuit or what sort of things do you see that people do well and that people do maybe not as well that they can improve on for like maybe a low circuit? That's kind of a hot topic around the Kentucky, at least. <laughs> are you talking about it in terms of like how the shows are operated or like how the judges work or maybe what? anything from judges training to show operation to how the sheets are laid out and that may be a little bit more of a deeper conversation because everybody has their own sheets with things that they value over one thing or another. Um, But maybe just in terms of training, start there. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, each circuit, whether it's BOA or this coming season, I guess I'll find out about WGI because that's a new, uh, a new thing for me. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Um, Oh, sweet. Yeah, so that's a lot of fun. That's a new thing as of like two weeks ago. So pretty, pretty psyched to be a part of that team now. Um, but comparing like BOA to DCI to WGI, they're all like totally different beasts in terms of what you know you're looking at from a criteria standpoint. From a training standpoint, it's they're a little bit different as well. Like you know DCI and and BOA really expect the judges to come in and already have the training and already have the knowledge and the experience to come in and judge at a high level. Um, WGI, from what I understand, because like I said, I haven't gone through it just yet, does a little bit more like hands-on on a week-to-week, like conference calls and things like that. Um, but at the local circuit level, you know, I'm the, the percussion and wins coordinator for the uh, the Seaweed Circuit in the Carolinas, as well as SCGC here in Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, and Northern Alabama. And we've been trying to get more people uh, interested in judging. And the past couple of years, I've run just like a judge training and mentorship program with people in the area that want to get involved and learn a little bit more about it, whether it be people that want to actually like pursue judging or people that are staff members at high schools that want to learn 
just more about things from a judge's perspective. And I'd really recommend any circuits to, to run a program like that. Um, you know, if they don't have a coordinator or something like that, you know, get in touch, if they can get in touch with me or uh, I can get them in touch with someone that's local and, you know, they can try to try to jump it off from there because, you know, cultivating as much local talent is, is only going to benefit the group because when, when groups get better feedback, then everyone gets better and, you know, a rising tide uh, raises all ships. So, you know, that's, that's really something that, you know, I, I think a lot of circuits have started to do uh, just in terms of having those, those training programs. And those can be pretty hands-on. So for, for my guys, we'll have a meeting usually like in December. And that'll just be like going over the sheets and like doing changes from the last year's uh, uh, PAB meeting. And then it'll be getting into like really diving into the sheets. And if it's visual people, I'll usually have someone else that's on the WGI panel come in and work with those folks just because visual is not really my uh, my area of emphasis. But uh, we'll, we'll get them through <laughs> that, get them familiar with what's going on. And then uh, once the shows start, they'll just come to as many shows as they can, run tapes, go to critique, do everything like a normal judge would, and then just kind of track the progress as the season goes on. Awesome. I know last year uh, you had extended the branch out to me like hey you heard our podcast and listened to it and obviously fantini and i have been i don't want to say we've been critical of some things where we have opinions which is basically what this podcast is about of what maybe we thought would happen and we're like hey we don't understand how these judges saw this but obviously we're not on the field we're watching videos or watching in the parking lot but then you extended the branch out to me like hey you should come trial judge SEGC and it just didn't work out. But I think that that is great because that would, I would love to do something like that. And hopefully we can make it work this year. Uh, if the opportunity is still available, just to like, obviously for me to put my money where my mouth is, because I talk about judging a lot, but also just <laughs> to get, to get better uh, uh, as a judge myself, because I do judge it locally uh, and that sort of thing. And I think that it's so important to empower people and encourage people to go do things like that because there does need to be a new wave of judging just because the people who have been doing it for years and years can't always and won't always be there. So we need to have qualified, uh, intelligent, and informed people there that are trained and ready to go when the time comes uh, because you and just to name another guy that I know that's newer, Jeff Brooks, like those people can't judge every show. So there needs to be like a new wave of judging that's ready to go that can give detailed and qualified feedback like right away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally right. And, you know, there's there's a lot of great judges out there, man. Like even, even people that, you know, haven't had the fortune to do, you know, championships week assignments and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of incredible judges out there. And, you know, they all got started with it because, you know, someone either gave them a shot or, you know, they decided themselves that they were going to pursue it and, you know, try to just see how far they could take it. And, you know, I've, I've been so, so lucky. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm only 32, man. Like I'm, I'm super young. You know, I, (laughs) I work in business operations for a government agency. Like, you know, I don't have what you'd maybe expect to be the typical judge background. You know, I don't have a 
doctorate in percussion performance. I don't teach at a college or anything like that. But, you know, I, what I try to do is just be as prepared as I possibly can to know the shows like the back of my hand and to get out there and give the kids every single thing that I've got. And, you know, I think there's a lot of good guys out there, you know, like Jeff, Jeff Brooks is, is exactly one of those guys that, you know, he's done a really, really good job since he's gotten started the past few years. And he's been doing it for a long time, even before just starting with DCI. He's kind of like me got started on the indoor side first, but you know, there's going to be a lot of good people that are coming up and, you know, even the people that we have, you know, Alan Christensen, Jeff Prospery, Mike Davis, you know, Chris Romanowski, Giff Howarth, those guys are, are no slouches by any means. Yeah, when maybe when JJ son ages, I can get back out there too. Uh, <laughs> well, JJ's I wanna, one of them, man. <laughs> I want to jump in with a question that kind of piggybacks onto what we were just talking about of like somebody like me, I've mentioned I judged my first show last season, and I'd imagine that there's probably others out there that have kind of dipped their toes into the water. And my hesitation of really jumping in the pool is. And it's probably been evident to anyone that listens to this podcast. I'm kind of, I don't want to use the word clueless, but not as educated as I would, I feel like I would need to be to effectively evaluate a front ensemble in like a WGI setting or a DCI setting, or I can tell if rhythms are being played together, dynamics are being played together, tempo, all that stuff. But I just feel like I miss a lot of nuance. So is it still possible for somebody um, who only has one side of the coin in their toolbox, um, like whether it's just battery knowledge or just front knowledge to really get into it. And like, what advice would you have for me or anybody else in that, in that scenario? Yeah. So I would, I would advise you just to, you know, try to learn as much as you can about mallet playing. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot more crossover between the sections than, you know, one, might anticipate on the surface level. Um, I mean, the criteria remains consistent between the battery and the front ensemble. So you're still looking at, you know, consistency of expressive qualities, phrasing and shaping, you know, uni unity of rhythms, you know, all mm -hmm. of that stuff remains the same. And then, you know, when you're looking at the difficulty of the parts, you know, it, you just, that just kind of comes with a little bit of experience and understanding, you know, you know, some of these runs, octatonic runs might look a little bit harder than some others, but, you know, maybe they don't, they're not really that much harder. Just kind of the hand placement look, makes it look a little bit more challenging. So, you know, you'll just start to get those things by getting a little bit more experience. And I man, I got confidence that you could, you could figure it out for sure. All right. So kind of just, just jump in the pool then is the best advice. Definitely. I feel like that's good advice for in a lot of things. Just if you're nervous about doing something well, and you um, want to get better at something, just start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, this is completely off topic, but I like to grill. And I was watching <laughs> a guy who's smoking brisket the other day. He's been doing it for like eight years. He's like, the only way to get good at smoking brisket is to fail at smoking brisket. And so I feel like that's kind of a similar trait. Like the only way that you can get good at drumming is to fail a lot of drumming. The only way you can get good at judging is to fail a lot of judging. I mean, I always tell my kids, that I teach at high school that reps cure all like you just got to get more reps like I can't even evaluate you until I think that you actually know what you're doing and give you feedback so it's amazing uh, how that concept applies to yeah. so many different things throughout life yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild but you know and and I'll still go back and I listen to every single tape that I do 
usually like the day following the show, like if it's a travel day or something like that, I'll usually listen to all my tapes on the plane and, you know, take notes on them and uh, about what I thought was good. Or, you know, if I said a certain word, a whole bunch that I just, you know, for whatever reason, that was like my word of the day, um, you know, try to get that out of the vocabulary a little bit. Um, but you know, it's just all about, you know, you guys are pretty analytical guys, you know, it's just doing the analysis and, you know, trying to think about, you know, from your perspective, like what is a perfect recording and then trying to do that essentially. All right. That's that a, that's sense. a tough question to ask. What's the perfect recording? Cause I feel like that, that question too varies over what part of the season it is. I mean, obviously at yeah, the finals week. Thing. Obviously, during finals week, you guys aren't done judging. That's when you're probably the most hypercritical. But at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of tapes out there from finals week week where people are just I'm just soaking this in. Like, all right, I'm just, I'm just listening. Like, I there's I've heard the plenty of times that Jeff Prosser, you guys gave me goosebumps or that sort of thing. Um, but I'm sure that that perfect tape varies over the course of the season, early season, whatever it is, DC. Yeah, BOA, uh, local circuit, that early season tape is like big picture. I see what you guys are trying to do. Maybe this design-wise, this design-wise from a pacing standpoint. Mid-season, it's maybe think about changing this. Do we need this? Is this the most effective? Is this the most clarity we're going to get by the end of the year? Then at the very end of the season, it's just was it in there or was it not? And how good was it? Uh, I mean, th that's kind of maybe the way I'm thinking out loud right now, but those tapes I'm sure change as over the, uh, the course of the summer. Big time. I mean, I, I, the last two years I've been, I I've done the, the tour premiere and then I've gone on to championships. So I've gotten to see everyone from the very first to the very end. And it's it's kind of like like uh, making a statue where it's like you start with like a block of granite and you're going to take away big chips at the beginning and it starts to like create its form. And then by the end, you know, it's just like little minor details that you're picking up on. So, I mean, and, and like the way that the, the commentary is shaped is a little bit different as well, because, the, because in the beginning, like, man, they know the ticks are out there like they know it. They don't need you to say that the entire recording. So, you know, it's a lot of just kind of like taking in the program and learning more about what they're doing because they know what's going on out there. And then, you know, that becomes a little bit more uh, critical as the season goes on. And I find that as much valuable as anything as judging on a local circuit or whether you're doing anything is that early season the groups that take the most might not always be the worst groups, especially early on, because maybe they're doing more content. Maybe they have more demand, maybe this, maybe that, maybe that. So there's so much nuance and levels of the activity you have to take into account from a judging perspective, which is why, especially this season above a lot that I've seen recently and Fantini and I have talked about this ourselves we're just watching and we're like, man, we do not envy the judges at all because the decision making and the calls were so close. We watched a lot of groups and maybe the top four groups this year could have been the best group on any other given year for the last five years. It was just it was a really, really fun year to watch DCI yeah. percussion. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It was one of those years where it was like on any given night, you never knew who was going to show up and who was going to bring it and and how it was going to all shake out. You know, I I don't know. I don't think I've looked at all the recaps from the finals week shows, but, you know, I would say there's probably a pretty good amount of variance in there from night to night just because of how good everyone was and how close it really was. Yeah, it was definitely a splitting hair season for sure. Yeah, which is it's super fun to be a part of that because, you know, like we were talking about before, just like that visceral reaction where like those guys know that they're just throwing it down out there. Like it was super cool to get that from like seven or eight or nine groups this year. Yep. <laughs> Did not Oof. envy you guys. Yeah. Is that a sneeze? <laughs> No, I was just like saying, like, oh man, like, oh okay, <laughs> that's, that's that's a tough one. That's tough. Yeah. And then and then to sit in front of those people, of course, exactly. I guess they stop. I guess they stop critique, uh, like at some point in the season now in DCI, but still, there. And Mike and I, or Fantini and I, sorry, Fantini <laughs> and I have uh, have talked about this before many times. Just people who think like, oh, maybe this group should have been higher than they were, but then you think in your head, well, above. Of who because that group above them was also really good and then this group was really good so it's like oh man like what a what a tough gig but also very rewarding to experience those ensembles from that perspective yeah i mean it's it's the best job in the world like i mean and that's regardless of like the the particular activity like dci uh wgi or boa or fall band you know like to be out there and like like uh, i feel really lucky to be a part of it and and it's it's so so cool to see just what these kids can do. Like it's just insane. Even high school kids, like it, it's crazy the books that these kids are given and the way that they're able to achieve it by the end. Like you look at what Chino Hills and some of those groups are doing. It's crazy. Oh yeah, obviously you'll get I guess a more dabble in the WGI this year. But watching some of these WGI world class classic groups, I'm just like, dude, what is going on right now? Yeah, Arcade, I mean, you take you take some like, of them and you, you can plug some of them right into PIW. I mean, it's crazy. Dude, oh, we've talked sure. about that. We've. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, where's Mapes at? <laughs> John Mapes, yeah. Where's he at? What what school? <laughs> I can't think. Uh, Chino, Chino Hills. Hills. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's Chino. Come like, sh- shut up. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, they would easily i think i think we said this last season that chino hills would easily make finals in an independent world like easily if not beat a handful of groups if not a lot of groups they're definitely cleaner than a lot oh yeah <laughs> but whatever oh, yeah, yeah i mean those those kids are ridiculous like whatever they've got in the water and like that arcadia chino hills area because all those schools like them and ayala are all like i think they're only like 15 minutes apart from each other yeah That's they're all nuts. in the same city yeah and 15 minutes in California driving has got to be like half a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for us uh, sitting in traffic. Uh, oh, man. Dude, they're not very far. And they got the system figured out. They have the community support, the school structure. Like, they just they – got, they got it going. And there's obviously many other great groups. There's that one from Texas that I love, Burleson, that uh, Luke Willingham's at. Shout oh, out, Luke. They were so good played. last well, year. Uh, oh, my goodness. And then, obviously, you have Dartmouth and the Etiwanda from California. I mean, dude, the high school thing drives me. Like, it blows my mind. It's, it's crazy. But 
it's yeah, almost more impressive to me to watch a really really good high school group than one of the top drum corps groups i like them both personally <laughs> oh they're both awesome i mean they're both awesome but it's it's almost more impressive to me when a high school group achieves that level of clarity well i yeah. guess we're getting we're getting close to the end here but real quick so 2016 mike leitsky gets his email or text or phone call or whatever you get you're on the field 2016 finals night what's your immediate thought process <laughs> uh what <laughs> I, I could not believe it. Um, so, like, the way that we find out what show we're getting, you'll usually get, like, an email or something throughout at, throughout the season at some point just saying you're going to come in and you're going to do championships. Um, but you don't actually find out what show you're doing until the Wednesday before prelims. So, like, and it's it, we do a little dinner thing that happens, and it's usually towards the end they do the – they reveal the panels – and it's so funny that year they gave us these cards and there was a, a time that was written on the back of the card, kind of in a spot where you wouldn't necessarily look at. And I had done open class finals that year as well. I did open class in 15, open class prelims and 16 at an open class finals. So I thought because I had seen the open class teams, I was probably going to do prelims because it was my first time going in for world class championships and when they said it was a time that corresponded with your call time, I looked at mine and I, I think it said 5.30. And I was just like, oh, man, I knew it was a long day, but I didn't know it was that long. And uh, Are you thinking 5.30 a.m.? Yes, 5.30 a.m. <laughs> so then, you know, John is like, okay, so if you see 8 a.m., then you have prelims. And I was kind of like, okay, 5.30 doesn't really make sense for semifinals. And he was like, if you see 12.30, you have semifinals. And if you see 5.30, you have finals night, Saturday night. And my jaw had to have been on the floor for at least 10 to 15 minutes. Where it's just <laughs> like, I could not believe it. And I can't even imagine what John Phillips and Jay Kennedy's cell phones looked like later that night when the panels went out. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I'm forever grateful for their trust for that. And to be able to do that show with the likes of, you know, Alan Christensen and Jeff Prospery and JJ and, you know, all these like legendary figures in the judging community. Um, it was ridiculous. It was like definitely one of those like, I don't feel like I belong here moments, but it was so cool. Out of body experience. Oh, yeah. and, and let me tell you, when that show started, the Boston Crusaders were the 12th place core that year. From the second they stepped off to the Blue Coats ending was like a blink of an eye. Like it went by so quickly. That's awesome. That's great. Well, so. and it's, it's kind of funny too, because you make that reference like it went by in the blink of an eye but then other people who from uh from an armchair will critique it for hours on it and <laughs> it's just so ridiculous the dichotomy of that situation yeah hey and you know what man we we need those fans you know without fans we don't have an activity so this is bringing it on this is very true <laughs> well we've been going for about an hour and eight minutes now i think that's a good note to end this on you got anything else evan or Mike, anything you want to talk about? 
Yeah. So uh, in case anybody is listening to this and is interested in getting involved with judging or wants to know a little bit more about next steps to uh, maybe talk about getting involved with judging, uh, feel free to find me on Facebook or uh, Instagram and send me a DM and I'd be happy to get you uh, either set up with myself or with, with someone else that can get you going. Cool. And that's Mike L E I T K Z E, right? T Z K E. T Z K E. Well, I'm well, dyslexic. The but. spelling will be in the <laughs> podcast link. It'll be yeah, in not, the title. Not really yeah. the not the easiest last name in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out, everybody. Sticking around this long with us today. Again, just a reminder, subscribe on YouTube, like the video, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, follow on Facebook and Instagram. All that helps us. And uh, I think we'll be back in a few weeks with uh, another guest episode, hopefully, and we'll reveal that at the time. So we'll see everybody then. Peace.